This is Car Expert. And that was one of the cons, is still no ANCAP rating. Well, now there is, and that gets rid of one of the last reservations I would have about recommending the Havel H6. The S3 puts itself in a really good spot. It's the cheapest of its direct competitors. I've not driven a Ferrari like this ever. None had this ability to devour a road at such a pace. Hello, my name's Mandy Turner. Hello to you, James Wong. Hey, Mandy. And William Stopford, hello. Hello, Mandy. I bet there were quite a few of our listeners wondering last week, uh, where's the Car Expert podcast? Because uh, <laughs> we didn't actually have an episode last week because we were all a little bit busy with something rather big. Yes, a big top secret project that we're not allowed to tell you what it is, but it's, it's, it's cool, it's big, and you'll find out in a few weeks. And that's all we're going to say. What yeah. a tease. <laughs> oh, um, I get told that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose you can give another tease here, Jaywo, because um, what's the car you're going to be talking about later on? Yeah, so I was um, on top of the top secret project that we were doing in Melbourne last week. <laughs> I, um, I left the team um, for just under two days to head down to Hobart and drove the new Audi S3, um, which was a lot of fun. I haven't really spent much time in Hobart or Tasmania ever. I've only been once. And um, to get to see it as an adult and and do it as something a little bit different by driving through some target Tasmania stages was a lot of fun. What did you think of the Tassie roads? Amazing. It's sort of like mm. a mini New Zealand. I've done one trip to yes. Queenstown and it gives me like even the airport was exactly like the Queenstown airport. Just you didn't have the snow capped mountains in the in the background. But um, yeah, it's sort of like that alpiney, cold, wet sort mm. of vibe once you leave the city. And it's literally like 10 minutes out of Hobart. You go straight up um, through, I think it was Mount Wellington, and you've got the mountain roads on the doorstep of the city. It was, um, It's just a really, really attractive place. And then you come back and they've got great food. Or the, the event, we had lots of local produce with our meals and it was just really nice to support local and, and do something a little bit different. So I'm keen to talk yeah. more about it soon. Absolutely. Have you been to Tassie before, Will? No, I haven't. So um, far away from where you live, which doesn't help. I know, and now I really want to after that description. Yes. I, I actually also haven't gone out of Auckland Airport. I've been to New Zealand to Auckland Airport so, so many times on the way to the US, but I've never actually explored New Zealand. And I know both places, in addition to being beautiful and having lovely people, have got fantastic driving roads, so I need to cross yes. those both off my list. I remember Spirit of Tassie were doing a little bit of a deal, was it maybe last year, where you could take your car for free or, or something like that yeah. on, on the ferry. I so badly wanted to do that, but everything was half closed. So Yeah. They still oh, have mask rules there too that we don't have in Victoria oh, and New South Wales anymore, yeah. Um, um, it was a little interesting doing that. It's not that bad. It's just like you still have to mm. wear masks indoors, but it was a little bit different because considering how much we've gone through in Victoria especially, like <laughs> we've been so free for so long and then like to go back somewhere and have to like do things again, I was like, oh, a little bit traumatising. <laughs> <laughs> would you want, Would you put your golf on the, on the ferry and, and have a bit of a trip? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. actually been something I've wanted to do for a long time. But um, I just, obviously, once I bought the Golf, we went into lockdowns for two years. So it's yeah. been hard to, hard to do that. But um, I, I do want to do more 
um, domestic travel personally and explore more of the country that we live in because, you know, I've got lots of relatives overseas who ask about Australia all the time and I can never tell them anything because I don't go anywhere. <laughs> so it'd be good, to, <laughs> it'd be good to, um, to have a look at that. And I, actually, the, I, the other thing I did straight after that was I drove interstate to Adelaide in a Land Cruiser 300 series um, and did the long weekend there with a group of friends, which was a oh, lot of fun. Nice. Um, I did a bit of a road trip uh, on the last Victorian long weekend, which is um, yeah, last weekend. Um, have you guys heard of the French Island? French Island. Uh, so it, it's about an hour and a half south of Melbourne, southeast of Melbourne. It's right near Phillip Island, but it's its own island. Yes, yeah. I've been there before. I went there on a school camp in like grade four. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a whole different world. Because you, you have can't, like lots of kangaroos or something there. Yeah, koalas. I think it's the largest community of koala, koalas in Australia. Oh, yeah, right. We saw koalas there, but like you, there's locals that live on there. This island is twice as big as Phillip Island, and there's only like 120 people that live there. I swear, there's more cars or broken down cars in fields than there are people there. <laughs> yeah, right. It was so odd when you got off the ferry. The terminal on French Island was just like it was like a wrecking yard of cars. Mm. So, and because you you need the the ocean, cars rust quicker, yes. obviously, the salt air. So mm. they were relatively not new cars, but cars that you wouldn't think would rust so much. Like there was a, I don't know, a mid nineties Commodore which was rusty everywhere. Wow. But they were sitting there for God knows how long. The tires were flat, registration plates were off, completely covered in dust. Apparently residents just leave them there and go back to the mainland and, I don't know, rent a place for however long and come back. It's, what? it's so odd. And I I don't know the full story behind it all, but I was quite amazed at the crap heaps on the road. <laughs> yeah, that's bizarre. Because I thought, uh, yeah, from, from memory, French Island's almost like a wildlife sanctuary. So to have it stuff is, like yeah. that, like just sitting there, seems counterproductive. Yeah. <laughs> well, there could be wildlife living in these junk heaps, so... <laughs> It's like sunken ships, isn't it? Yeah. Um, So it's just funny that there are so many places, you know, in our country that we haven't been to or we've only been to on school excursions when we were little kids and there's so much to explore and you just, you put it off for the longest time because you're like, oh, it's just, you know, it's just the next state over. I can do that anytime. You end up seeing more of overseas than you do of your own country. So I've been wanting to do a long road trip in my car, which I also bought in the the middle of COVID. Um, But uh, now petrol prices are (laughs) the price are, might push that further down the to What's it list. like in Queensland at the moment? The it was like $2.20 or something the other day. Uh, I've been down in Melbourne a week or so now, so but it's just as expensive as it is down here from what I recall. Mm, fun times. Okay, uh, let's get stuck into this week's podcast. Now, to take us through this week's news, we invite back on the podcast Jack Quick. Hello, Jack. Hello, Mandy. How are you? Very good, thank you. Love the energy for this week. (laughs) Um, Now, the first story we're going to start with, yet another state in Australia is going to be offering a EV subsidy. Which one is uh, jumping on board this time around? Yeah, so this time it's Queensland. So Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk has announced a $3,000 rebate for all EVs under $58,000, and this will start from July one. So to think about $58,000, that's a fair bit of money, but in EV terms, it's also not a lot. So if you think about $58,000, certain vehicles that will fall under this threshold is the BYD Atto 3, the MG ZS EV, the Hyundai Ioniq, 
Nissan Leaf, the Hyundai Kona short, short range, and the Mini SE. One um, omission from this list is the Tesla Model 3, which now starts from 63900 um, for the entry-level rear-wheel drive model. So you won't be able to get $3,000 back in Queensland for, that mo- for the Tesla Model 3 at all. Um, and Queensland, uh, is, as you said, um, is one of the latest to join this $3,000 rebate program. But we've seen similar things in Victoria, New South Wales and South Australia already. And um, what do you guys reckon? Do you think that this, this should be something nationally standardised? What what should happen here? Oh, look, I think everyone has been complaining for a very long time about the complete absence of any kind of federal government subsidies or, or EV promotion program. So it's just fallen on the states um, to devise programs of their own. It's great to see my state, Queensland, the Sunshine State. Um, get, <laughs> get it. You yeah, really had to this. get it in there. I really had to get it. Well, I'm the only Queenslander right now speaking. Um, so it's, it's great to see um, Queensland join in on this as well. Um, I, I have a maybe a slightly different view on it. I think that subsidies is one way of looking at it, but I think just a national scheme or framework around emissions and fuel types in general, similar to the models that are um, used in like Europe and the UK, I think that it's one thing to just subsidize the, the purchase of one, but then the ongoing costs like registration and you know fuel and all, all that kind of thing, it, I think there needs to be some... Uh, a framework there to make it more appealing because you don't just buy a car and that's it. Obviously, you have to pay to you have to keep paying to keep it topped up, whether it's with electricity or petrol or whatever it is. And I think that there needs to be a standardized strategy because otherwise, you've got this thing where depending on where you live, that can change the benefits or the subsidies or you know the the write-offs that you're eligible for. So you know, as Jack said earlier, the, the fifty eight thousand dollar threshold for a only pure electric vehicles doesn't really buy you a whole lot, um, and you know it's there's no in, there's still no incentivization for um, like plug-in hybrids, for example, which is a stepping stone technology, or um, the sort of we we currently have a low emissions or a low fuel consumption um, tax break for cars that use less than like seven liters per hundred k's for like luxury car tax, for example. So it bumps up the threshold. We probably need to see more of that stuff beyond just electric vehicles because otherwise you're just sort of making people take a beeline to one thing and not considering all the different ways that we can reduce our environmental impact. And on the, on the subject of environmental impact, we don't have an emissions policy or any sort of thing anyway. So mm. it's sort of like it's putting it on the people and I think obviously we want to encourage more people to buy alternative powertrain technologies and then um, force the government to do something about it, but it really should be the other way around. I think we need to, to follow um, Europe's lead, even New Zealand basically models itself off the UK market, and I think that it's stupid that we haven't taken that lead already. Sometimes we just feel so far behind, don't we? Ah, hopefully it will change soon. Now, Jack, the 2022 Havel H6 has earned the top star rating for ANCAP. 
Yeah, so that's correct. The Havel H6 is, is H6 is the latest vehicle from um, Chinese automaker Great Wall Motor that has produced vehicles such as the Steed in the past. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's the latest uh, vehicle uh, crash tested by ANCAP to receive a five star rating under the strictest, uh, the latest, sorry, uh, 2020 to 2022 protocols. Um, and it's also the second vehicle uh, from uh, GWM, oh, that's um, the acronym for Great Wall Motor. Um, to get a five-star rating um, following the Ute, which is kind of the successor to the Steed. And um, ANCAP said that it performed well across all of the areas of assessment. And um, one thing to note that with this H6, it's Chinese built, and there were a lot of questions about if you get in a crash, what will happen? And this five-star ANCAP rating kind of answers that question. And um, I'll, I'll ask another question. What's stopping you from buying the Aval H6 now? Well, it's, it's funny that you, you should say that because I've literally just finished writing a review on Havel H6 and mm -hmm. this news dropped today while I was halfway through writing it. And that was one of the cons that I was about to put in the review. There's still no ANCAP rating. Well, now there is, and that really gets rid of an, a, like one of the last kind of reservations I would have about recommending the Havel H6 to a prospective midsize SUV buyer because it's got, it's got its flaws, absolutely. Um, but that it can, can boast a five-star end cap rating like most of the cars in this class and, as you said, under the, the latest testing protocols um, is reassuring. I think um, one thing to note I forgot to mention is the five-star rating only currently um, stands for the petrol variant, so like what Will, uh, Will uh, reviewed. Uh, it doesn't currently um, uh, fall under the hybrid model, which is going to be coming very, very soon so we'll probably see some change in the near future where like it's tacked on to include the h6 hybrid but for now it doesn't include it at all I think this is a really big win for Great Wall Motors because now um, some people may not realise, but a lot of um, corporate and government fleets won't purchase vehicles if they don't have a five-star ANCAP rating. Um, so given we're in a time where supply and component shortages are rife across the industry and we're seeing a lot of prices going up or massive delays on, on vehicles um, docking at ports, um, it actually opens up a real great opportunity for a, a challenger brand like Great Wall and Havel to, you know, start putting their vehicles on rental fleets or, you know, government or business fleets and things like that. So I think we could, when we're going to start seeing a lot more of them on the road now that there's that, um, you know, assured safety thing, because that's normally a question with some budget vehicles and brands, regardless of where they originate from. Now we've just got to wait for the Jolion um, because that's the last of the three models that GWM currently sells in Australia. Um, and we know that ANCAP was experiencing a lot of issues last year because of COVID-related lockdowns. It really put a through a spanner in the works of all their testing program. Um, so hopefully the Jolion will be one of the next cabs off the rank uh, to get a rating from, from ANCAP. And look, I would probably be surprised if it didn't get five stars following this. Mm. Mm. It's sort of hard not to get five stars anymore, isn't it? <laughs> well, so that, many cars are quite safe. Well, that's the thing. If people put question marks over um, countries like China that you know they develop cars on a, on a cheap for cheaper segments or whatever. But at the end of the day, markets like oh, car makers like that, regardless of where they come from, if they're trying to make it in Europe or if they're trying to export to some of the biggest markets around the world, you have to engineer it for the top safety ratings. Otherwise, mm -hmm. there's just going to be a negative stigma around it. So I think they learned their lesson with some of the older 
um, products um, that didn't get five-star ratings. It was something that was constantly um, fed back through reviews or it would have been a reason that consumers didn't buy it. So I think, yeah, you have to expect most vehicles to get it now. It's almost a surprise if it doesn't get one rather than getting one these days. So, um, yeah. Mm. Well, I suppose a bit of a surprise uh, last week. We we sort of missed this news because of uh, the MIA podcast. Uh, but, Jack, the Subaru uh, WRX STI is no longer. Yes, I was going to kind of lead. Uh, I am going to lead with Subaru has killed the STI, WRX STI as we know it. All kind of STI is changing. Um, it mm. no longer means like a, a boxer engine with like a turbocharger and like the the – classic sound that kind of you think of when you think of a WRX STI. Um, so it's official. So there's not going to be no STI variant of the new generation WRX, which was revealed not too long ago. Um, I personally was looking forward to like a, a hotted up, uh, even more hotted up version of the WRX because it, it's nice, but I think I want that little bit more. But we're not going to get it in the form that I think we're going to. So there's going to be new, uh, Subaru says that it's going to be exploring new technologies is what it says. And what I kind of surmise from that is it's going to be some form of electrification. We have already seen this with a few of the concept vehicles coming from uh, Subaru, um, including the Solterra STI and the crazy um, STI ERA concept, which is like this crazy race car. And um, both of these are all electric. And I think that it's going to be, some electric or I don't know how it's going to be like the next generation WRX or an STI is just going to be electric, which isn't as exciting. I don't know. <laughs> um, would you guys, I do ask, a, I'm going to ask a question. Would you guys consider an all electric WRX STI? Yeah, if it's good. Um, <laughs> I, I look fundamentally, I think there are probably a few people that are disappointed with the, with the latest WRX, maybe thinking that because it had a larger engine that there'd be considerably more power and torque. Uh, I think some people were disappointed by the styling. And I think there were still sections of that kind of WRX fan base that, that were thinking, oh, no, just wait for the STI. That'll really bring it home. It's going to be awesome. And then Subaru drops this press release on I felt like it was like a Friday afternoon or something so like, just like, let's just try and bury this bad news there. Um, obviously that they've indicated that there is a future for the STI name, uh, but to kind of almost unceremoniously kill uh, the WRX STI after so many years, I, I have to admit I was shocked. And lastly, Jack, the Volkswagen ID buzz has finally been, un been unveiled. Yes, and how cute does it look? I freaking love it. <laughs> <laughs> Buzz is the perfect name for that car, I yeah, feel. Yeah, like a, a little buzzy bee is what it makes me think yeah. of instantly. So um, this <laughs> <laughs> so this ID Buzz is, uh, can be known as the spiritual successor to the combi van of way back and such an iconic vehicle that I think Volkswagen is trying to, be, trying to bring back multiple times and it's finally happened in an all-electric form. So there's going to be two different versions of the ID Buzz called the ID Buzz, which is going to be the passenger carrying version, kind of like a, a people mover is what I should call it. And then there's going to be the ID Cargo, which is going to be like a panel van um, version. And it's all going to be based on the MEB platform, which also underpins um, the whole ID range at this stage, including the ID3, ID4, 
you name it, there's an ID for it. Um, and there's also going to be a longer wheelbase version coming very soon, which is going to be targeted towards the US and Canada. Um, and so with this ID Buzz, it's going to be available in rear and all-wheel drive forms. And it's going to be, I've, you've probably seen the pictures, but it's freaking adorable and it's huge inside there's all of these little easter eggs inside which is super cool and um at this stage there's it's no idea when it's going to be coming to australia at all as is the case with a, a few of the different volkswagen vehicles including the id3 <laughs> and um but yeah what do you guys reckon what do you think of the id buzz we have been waiting 20 damn years for a reborn combi now that's not to say that the combi ever really went away because like the transporter has evolved and you to to become today's transporter and multi-van and caravel and you know whatever uh, but they first volkswagen first showed a microbus concept all the way back in 2001 with a six-cylinder engine um something that you just wouldn't hear of today um and then they showed that little bully um that little tiny boxy um uh van concept a few years later but we've just had nothing in terms of um a a reborn combi and now finally after this endless teasing and spy photos and leaked photos it's here and you know what it looks a lot like the concept. They have stayed really close to the concept. Um, I like that there are two different um, lengths because I, at first I saw this and I'm just like, two rows of seating, huh? Um, but evidently, you know, there is a three-row version coming. Um, I don't know. I think it just seems like a really appealing package and I, I think it might be able to tap into that kind of combi bus, uh, whatever nickname you called it, wherever you're from, nostalgia. <laughs> What do you reckon, Joe? Are you a fan? Yeah, um, I I remember covering the concept reveal a few years ago um, when I first started out, and I thought it was really cool. That I I, I've, I think I've said it many many times that I just love like the retro throwbacks with like modern tech and design mm. and stuff. And I think this is actually one of the first Volkswagen ID vehicles that I actually like because I mm. feel like it's it still stays true to the brand's heritage. I don't feel like, um, for example, the ID3 was sort of like um, pitched as the biggest like Volkswagen model or whatever since the Golf, which was before that it was the Beetle and whatever. And I didn't feel like the ID3 really had distinct lineage to any of the previous stuff whereas i feel like the id buzz you, you can tell it's a volkswagen because it's shaped and um colored and designed like a combi van so it'd be cool if they um do something similar for like a, a beetle or a golf replacement that still looks like the cars that we know and love from volkswagen's old portfolio um but obviously using the the new id branding and all the new electrification technologies that they're employing at the moment but it looks super cool um i'm really keen to here when they're going to bring them here because knowing yes. um, knowing that Volkswagen's actually um, been quite big on the commercial vehicle front lately with their camper vans, the California mm. and Caddy Beach have been so successful here that they've brought in new generations as they've come through. Um, I would imagine that there'd be a huge market for something like this given a lot of these hipster types might want an adventure or campy vehicle that you know, doesn't run on dirty diesel as some people will call it or petrol or whatever. So having something like this would be really appealing to a lot of people in Australia, I reckon. I'm going to disagree just ever so slightly there um, because I like that it doesn't look completely 
retro. And I think Volkswagen has been clever not to make it look too much like an original microbus because I think we saw with the new Beetle, which just became the Beetle, even though it was newer, (laughs) um, that once you do a really retro design, you kind of box yourself into a corner. It's very hard to follow up on that. And I think enthusiasm for the Beetle just kind of waned in its second generation. So they've done something that looks identifiably uh, a successor to the old bus, the old combi, but also it ties in really nicely with the rest of the ID family. And I think they can update it without it just looking like an endless retread of a retro design like the Mini. (laughs) Uh, Hit the news link at carexpert.com.au and thank you once again, Jack Quick. Thank you, Mandy. I'll take a quote from Tony Crawford's latest review I'm quite sure the all-new Ferrari 296 GTB is the finest road car to come from the prancing horse stable in the last decade. What a statement. Croft, hello. Hello, guys. And uh, you are dead right, Mandy. It is absolutely phenomenal. And for those that don't know what 296 GTB all means, 29 is the displacement. So it's 2992cc. And, of course, it's a six-cylinder now. Uh, no more is that this is a new car brand new from the ground up and Gran Turismo Berlinetta I should have said sorry that's GTB as opposed to GTS um, and other GT things that Ferrari do at time to time Um, this is a whole new car Um, and um, it came uh, I believe from uh, really a demand from owner Ferrari owners that wanted an agile lightweight car um, and I don't know what the backstory is to all that um, and why they chose to, you know, act on those demands or, or requests from owners. And anyway, they developed a brand new car and a brand new engine um, because this is the first time um, ever, uh, as we found out in my review, that someone uh, tried to rightly point out but was wrong, um, that said there's no, the Dino was a V6. Yes, it was a V6, the Dino, but it wasn't badged a Ferrari, my good friend. Of course. And, um, and in that case, I was absolutely right because even in Ferrari's eyes, um, it was not a Ferrari. It was a Dino named after the, his uh, son who died tragically early, uh, who was actually working on the V6 engine. Uh, that's the story behind that. And, um, and I love the Dino, don't get me wrong, fantastic car, but this is a modern. Uh, I thought they might have actually called it a Dino. Um, anyway, they didn't. It's a Ferrari 296 GTB, um, and it is absolutely sensational. So it's a V6, but it's a different type of V6. It's a V6 with the cylinder banks at 120 degrees, and the reason for that is because it offers more performance in that architecture and you can have enough space to mount the uh, twin turbos, the twin counter-rotating turbos, I might add, inside the hot V, they call it, uh, which is fantastic for reducing the mass of the engine. Um, and, of course, if anyone wants a more agile Ferrari and they're now doing a, a V6 rather than a V8, um, then, of course, we're going to get lightweight. And this is lightweight, 1470 kilos dry. So probably make that about 1550 wet, which is pretty, pretty um, light in today's standards because you've got Porsche 911s running at about 1640, 1650 now. So this is an incredibly lightweight car and probably feels even lighter than that. It actually feels 1470 from behind the wheel. Um, 
Ferrari by um, for a long time Ferrari steering has been very lightweight so you have to get used to that it does weight up with weight and and cornering um, uh, g-forces but you have to you you eventually learn to love this because it's like driving a Formula One car there's very small inputs so you can spend your time um, worrying about where to place the car in the corner and 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 how to actually go faster in the car, which this car is mighty fast, guys. It's 610 kilowatts and 740 newton meters of a V6. I mean, it's like you're talking about a twin-turbo V8, but this is a twin-turbo V6 with a hybrid powertrain. Uh, it's a hybrid powertrain, effectively, uh, using a seven uh, six five or seven four two kilowatt hour um, battery, um, but combined with the uh, the ice engine or the ice, um, it, it develops enormous. In fact, it's the fastest. Well, I won't say it's the fastest um, in the leaderboard on Ferrari's um, Fiorano track. Um, you know, all time leaderboard. It sits in P five. Um, behind the SF90 Stradale, the SF90 Spider, the La Ferrari, and the and the 812 Competizione. So this thing is number five behind those weapons, those you know million dollar weapons, half of them. And because um, uh, the SF90 is 1.4 million, we know that, and the Spider's well, Spider's 1.4, the other one's about 1.3. So this at 568,300 plus on roads. And I think with options, you'd probably be near 700,000. But this car gave me so much feedback and it sits so low because everything's lower in this car. The, that engine, uh, because it's so small, they pushed it well down into the, into the, the chassis. Um, so it's really low. It's lower than an F8 Tributo by some margin. It's shorter than an F8 Tributo by 50 mil. So this is a very compact car. The throttle is so beautifully calibrated, like the brake, like the steering, like everything just feels like it's connected to your brain. It's amazing. Um, As I said in my review, I've not driven a Ferrari like this ever, and I've driven quite a few Ferraris, and none had this ability to devour a road at such a pace with such handling prowess. And and I've got to tell you, some of the mountainous regions was, was quite wet, but it didn't slip around at all. And that was the Assetto Fiorano pack, which is another $73,000 on top of the 568300 plus what on road. that? That's just the pack. And there was literally, I've put down all the options that uh, weren't actually on this car, but they are the option prices, Australian option prices. And there's probably about... 35 to 40 of these options and some of them are $40,000 like the Daytona racing seats, $40,000 um, added to your 568.3. Um, we can get to 800 probably, we probably get to near 900 grand on this car. Um, I'm not saying it's not worth it because you, you can't really put a price on cars like this um, mm. as far as that goes. You know, we, we Ferrari has proved time and time again that their cars after 10 or 20 years go up double. Uh, they're like Rolex watches. They're the Rolex watches of cars. You know, you buy it for 600 it's worth 1.2 10 years later. So you can never say they're not worth the money um, because time and time again, that brand has proved they are worth the money and that's why they're a, a publicly listed company doing very well. And it's why Porsche is thinking of listing um, uh, Porsche uh, because of the same fact. They think that their 911s and their special 911s go up in value by double, which they do 
which they do, that just takes them longer than Ferrari to achieve the same thing. Anyway, so that's the car. Inside is very much like an SF90 Stradale, so it's all digital. So when you get in the car when it's inert or not switched on, um, the car is totally black, all the screens are black. Um, and then as soon as you put the capacitive, push the capacitive switch, which is on the beautiful Ferrari steering wheel, which is half carbon fiber, half beautiful stitch leather with the shift lights on top that really light up and remind you, this car revs out to the limiter, which is 8,500 RPM. So this is, now let me tell you a little bit about this engine, apart from its V6 architecture, the engineers that worked on this engine called it the Piccolo V12 because it sounds like a naturally aspirated V12. Um, so this car sounds better than the current Ferrari Formula One cars. I haven't heard the new car, so I don't know. that. But last year's car, this car sounds better. Um, so in that respect, you're buying a car that, you know, for six or $700,000 that will sound better than the Formula One car, which is probably worth $3 million. Euros, um, and I, I love the look of this car. I really do. Um, it, the Ferrari have ma- managed to blend cutting edge technology with uh, all the elements that go into making a, a world class sports car capable of breakneck speeds, point to point. Um, and we drove for three hundred and fifty k's on these B roads, and this car did not miss a beat. Um, I really think it's the best thing they've made in the last decade. And I was all set to, you know, dream about the 812 Superfast, which which I've also driven, which I love. But this car would have to be, if you had the money, this car would have to go ahead of the V12, which is, you know, how can you not like a Ferrari V12? But this Mm -hmm. car probably sounds better. Um, So it's remarkable. And the the way they've done that um, is – the way you hear that noise is unlike many other performance cars these days that that reproduce this fake noise out of the speakers, which everyone hates, right? Any enthusiast just wants to turn off. So they've got a thing called a hot tube, a patented process that goes a tube from the exhaust manifold and a tube from the intake. It meets in one, it goes to one tube behind the driver's ears and it's called the hot tube. And that's real noise being piped into the cabin. So, you know, you can imagine at 8,000 RPM shifting, um, uh, you know, and they've got, you know, the Manatino switch is the only actual um, real switch on the on the steering wheel. The rest of it's all capacitive pads and switches, which you get to use and like very, very quickly. But you do have the Manatino and then you've got an E-Manatino that switches between the hybrid and and look, let's face it, this car can drive 25Ks on EV power only, but who the frick's going to do that in a Ferrari, right? When you've got that engine making that noise, it's not, I, I mean, I, I basically when you turn the car on, the default is the hybrid mode and you go straight and push performance because that's when it fires up immediately and it revs at a very high tempo. Um, and of course, at eight thousand, at an already high tempo, you get you know you get a songful. You get one of the most beautiful sounds in automotive in the automotive world right now. But you pay for it, right? You pay for it. <laughs> it's big money. So when you turn in on this car, they've done something to the steering geometry and the ABS Evo system. So they have a special ABS system called the ABS Evo. Now that combined with the steering geometry. 
um, the Michelin Pilot Sport 4S. There's a whole combination of things. The guy was telling me, Tony, I want you to uh, brake late and turn in and you won't believe how this car turns in and doesn't understeer. And sure enough, I've left it to the second braking mark and not the first and turned in really late braking. I'm on the brakes as I'm turning in, no understeer, no nothing. I'm just getting around and I'm squirting back out the corner. Could not believe it. Um, that's something I've never experienced. And, you know, like I'm talking about, I'm coming down from 278 k's an hour and I'm turning in so late and the car just turns in. I couldn't believe it. So anyone wanting the the most agile Ferrari in, you know, of the last 20 years, this is probably it. Um, awesome. Yeah, that's so I, I, yeah I, I just hate the fact that it's so expensive and, it can, you know, it's going to sit on a wall rather than in my garage. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> It's, it's a dream car. It's become a dream car, not a potential reality. Well, that review of the Ferrari is online now at carexpert.com.au. Tony Crawford, thank you. Thank you, Mandy. All right, another review for this week. Jay, you've been spending some time with the mighty fine 2022 Audi S3. I actually quite like the, uh, the redesign of this. Um, what's changed for this year? Uh, well, it's it's part of the new generation A3 range. So think of it as sort of like what they, um, Volkswagen do with the Golf 8. It's very heavy, um, not re, like reskin of the previous generation. So it's still based on the MQB architecture. It still runs most of the same uh, drivetrain and powertrain technology, but the interior and exterior design is all new. Um, there's a few upgrades here and there in terms of the tech. Um, we also now get the full fat European engine tune. So historically, Australia has been classified as a hot climate for um, the Volkswagen Group, which has meant that we get detuned versions of most of their performance models. Now we get the, the full wax. So 228 kilowatts, 400 newton meters. It's up about 20-something kilowatts and 20 newton meters on the old one. Um, still a seven-speed S-Tronic um, dual-clutch transmission automatic. I've said that in the wrong order, but you can get, you get my drift. <laughs> um, there's no longer a manual, um, but you, so you get the uh, DSG or S-Tronic, whatever you want to call it, and then Quattro all-wheel drive. So it's, but it's still a front bias, um, almost Haldex-type system that is – a almost like an on-demand so it sort of detects slip and engages the rear axle but some of the developments that they told me about at the launch is that they're, they're trying to this new generation system so it's an it's a development of previous systems in that it tries to be more predictive and i think it uses various sensors and stuff to predict where the car is going to need traction so it engages proactively rather than trying to save you if you make a mistake <laughs> so cool. um yeah so that the, the media drive that we did for this car was in um hobart as i mentioned in the intro um and we got to drive some over some really really nice roads through um some of the tasmanian high country which part of it was is actually used on the target tasmania um motorsport event so that was really cool um just as an experience regardless of the car that i was driving to see mm. that part of the world because tasmania is a beautiful place and to experience uh, the we, – we had various weather conditions. There was rain at certain points. Um, obviously, we went from a mix of um, city – roads to country highways to twisty broken b roads um so could really test out what like you know quattro, the quattro brand for audi is all about you know all road not to sort of stay within their nomenclature because they obviously have the all road brand as well but you know thinking of thinking back to like the audi 
the original Audi Quattro, which was, you know, a rally car. And then once they made the road carts, like, you know, that whole all weather, anytime, anywhere sort of vibe that they went for from a performance perspective um, to, to test that out for this, you know, somewhat affordable, compact um, premium sports car um, was a lot of fun. And I was actually quite impressed. I own a Golf GTI. I'm pretty sure that gets repeated everywhere, whether you're reading the site or listening to the podcast. So um, it's actually a good thing in that I can use it as a point of reference because obviously it's a previous generation product running a, uh, the same base engine, but obviously I don't have all-wheel drive and stuff. Um, but yeah, so it was a, it was a really fun. I drove the sedan that for the launch. I didn't get to drive the Sport back, but as far as I know, there's only like a five kilogram dis- distance a difference in um, with the sedan being slightly heavier. Uh, but other than that, it's all the same running gear. So um, yeah, it's, what did you what did you think of the the, the new interior and exterior? Uh, I like the look of the interior. One thing that Audi is, especially the A3, in the last couple of generations has been known for has been like bank fault like build quality like it, it was long considered the benchmark of small car interiors it's still very good i prefer it to the current mercedes-benz a-class i think that the design is better than the bmw 1 series but i fear that the bmw is maybe better finished in areas um it's 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 still a really nice car i love the latest generation of audi's infotainment so the virtual cockpit and mmi touch systems um, are running the latest volkswagen group mib3 matrix which means you get like wireless apple carplay and just their latest um online based navigation systems so they're they're all really high tech they look really good high resolution snappy load times um capacitive touch um inputs it's it's all really high-end stuff and it's the same things that you'll find all the way up to the a8 and q8 and whatever so it's you know big luxury car tech in a in a very small car um that's within budget for most people it, and it trickles down to the a3 not just the s3 um I, there is a, a notable um difference in some of the material quality build quality still feels pretty darn solid um but materials aren't necessarily what you might expect there are certain parts of the cabin where it's very volkswagen or skoda rather than Audi um, and you know not to say that either of those brands produce shit cars or shit built cars to not to use too much French but it's obviously a, the, I, I spent a lot of time with the previous generation car because I had a long term in a previous job um, and that car was just excellent in every respect. It looked good. It felt good in pretty much everywhere that you could touch or see. And um, there was just a really nice um, ambience to the cabin when you sat in it because it just felt like a really, really high-end car, but obviously it was in a compact, affordable segment. This new one is still – it probably in terms of where it ranks in its segment, it's probably a similar thing in that it's still – towards the top but i just think that it's obviously taken a step back and audi for so long has been um a benchmark in cabin execution it's still one of the best but i don't think it's quite like the the, um, the void between it and competitors has obviously um shrunk what about the void between it and the golf r because you're now looking at price difference what a golf r is like 65 990 before on roads and the s3 starts at 7700 um do you think it just makes sense for somebody looking at a Golf R just to spend a little bit of extra money and go for the S3 or is there not a massive improvement in terms of interior ambience? Um, well, I'm glad you brought that up. I touch on it in the review but don't necessarily 
discuss it that much. It's I think the the difference between the Golf R and the S3 now is more what kind of person you're appealing to. I feel like with Mark 7 and 7.5 Golf and the previous generation S3, it was much of the same with a different look. Um, they were both very similar in most ways. The Golf R was still kind of going for that um, premium everyday GT pitch and it was the same with the S3. It was more just down to the design and obviously the Golf was significantly cheaper um, in the previous generation. You can get one for like 55 990 drive away at one point and the s3 was like seventy thousand dollars so you know that's a big gulf between the gulf yeah but now now that the the um times have changed and volkswagen unfortunately has had to up its prices significantly with this latest generation of golf r i think that um what they've done instead is made the products distinctly different so i haven't driven a new golf r but by all accounts from what i can find online from all of the european publications is that the golf r has sort of started turning into this more hardcore track focused vehicle whereas the s3 is now sort of like what the old golf r was in that it's like a, it's still that grand touring comfortable everyday car not to say that the new golf r won't be a daily but i think you know the the golf r gets a more powerful version of the same engine so it makes 235 kilowatts and 420 newton meters off the top of my head um, rather than 228 and 400 and then also it gets that new trick um, differential at the back that's got like a clutch based um, torque vectoring system which means you can send most of the power to the rear wheels and almost have like a drift mode um, audi won't offer that on the s3 rather it's saving it for the rs3 so i think they're sort of audi has the luxury of um, offering the rs3 which they can go all out on and do that have that same concept and i think now that the volkswagen group in general is sort of trying to separate its brands less um especially in the mainstream the, the lower end of its portfolio um it's they're, they're two distinctly different vehicles and i think you know the new golf r has bigger spoilers and body kit and you know the light the the, sm- the really thin spoked alloy wheels so it's meant to evoke more of like a boy racer vibe or something along those lines um the audi is more still sort of staying true to that premium brand experience where it's very luxurious and comfortable as a daily you have the option of um not just a very bright and vibrant standard color palette but you can also go through the Audi exclusive program and you know custom spec maybe a british racing green one if you're if you were me <laughs> um, and um yeah and so and obviously there's the different in how the interior presents itself the the tech in the audi i think is better integrated and it's a little bit less um out there obviously the golf 8 went to like a very digitized touch-based um control system for most of its dashboard which um i think there's a a pretty consistent theme with feedback from the car expert team (laughs) in that it's not the best development that volkswagen's (laughs) ever made whereas you know (laughs) audi has stuck to like physical climate controls for example and you know there's still proper switch gear around um so it still maybe is more evolutionary than revolutionary in most regards Mm so so yeah. the S3 is priced quite similarly to an M135i. And yes. I know you've driven that. I don't know if you've driven an, an AMG A35, which I know is a little bit more expensive. Mm-hmm. Of the, that German trio, based on your experience with them, which which one would you be spending Audi on? The S3, 100%. Yeah? Yeah. I, I don't um, – I find the A-Class is far too expensive. So the the, a, the A-Class already starts about five or six grand higher, is not any faster. Um, the interior isn't as nice and um, it doesn't necessarily do anything for me. I think with the problem with um, AMG and BMW is that the his, their previous iterations of compact 
performance product was built on different philosophies, like using the, the one series as an example. The, the first two generations were rear wheel drive. You could get a, an inline six in it. It was a very different vehicle to the one now. So the, the, it's almost like they're playing catch up or copycat to the Audi stuff. Whereas the, the S3 has been around since the late nineties and, you know, almost started the whole, um, premium affordable hot hatch thing. So uh, it's sort of like the OG of that, um, that concept. And I think it's, it's stayed true to its formula. Whereas the other brands, it's sort of like, they're just making these cars to appeal to demographics rather than to actual enthusiasts. Cause I, they, I was left, um, very uninspired by the M135i. I didn't like it uh, at all. Um, wow. <laughs> it's, it, it, yeah, it's, it's not, it, it, it's like, uh, it's fine, but you know, like, cause you can't really yeah. get a bad car these days, but it, like for me, it didn't feel like a performance one series because I loved the old M140 so much. The AMG A35, it's not really that, um, you know, the AMG brand is known for loud noises and crazy straight line performance. I didn't feel like it gave any, either of those things. And by the time you get to like fully optioned A35 money, you could probably buy an RS3, which, you know, has a point of difference in like the five cylinder engine and stuff. So I think, um, the, the S3 puts itself in a really good spot. It's the cheapest of its direct competitors. It, um, is not far away from a Golf R in that somebody that would, potentially cross shop the two could sort of pick and choose what vibe they're going for. Um, and then the, with Audi, obviously you get the, ex, the option to customize it. And, um, there's a, an array of standard or, um, all the metallic paints are standard. So there's like bright yellows, bright reds, bright blues, or you can get like your grays, blacks, whites, and whatever. There's a couple of different wheel designs. You can option in real carbon inlays inside. If you really like that, there's these beautiful, um, Napa leather seats with quilting. Um, you can get it with in, in gray, in black or black with red stitching. There's a few different things there and you can really just like make it your own. And I think that it still just does everything really well um, without necessarily standing out in one key area. But I think that's always been what the Golf R and the, A the S3 have done so well is that they're just a jack of all trades and you can, you know, roll up to the golf club, you can roll up to the shops, you can roll up to the, you know, the country club or the, the beachside bar or something like that in one of these <laughs> and it won't look like you've cheaped out or whatever. It's sort of, it's yeah. never out of place. It's, it's understated. It, it's, it's cla classic. It's classy. Um, I think that for, for my taste personally like i would i considered buying an s3 when i bought my golf because it's sort of i love the the design and the fact that it's not too shouty but it has you know that real um classic gt um Feel vibe mm -hmm. yeah so like i i really like that and i think this latest one um really it just evolves on and, and improves on that rather than trying to change the game and you know mm. potentially failing um but one thing that i will mention is that i probably preferred the sedan in the previous generation because that last generation sedan was such a sharp looking car yep. the latest one i would go the hatch the Sportback, I think, is the more resolved yeah. design. I think the way that they've um, – it's sort of like really wide and chunky and it, it translates better to the design of the Sportback this time around, whereas um, the last one, the sedan, was really sleek and, you know, classic. And, yeah, I think the, the Sportback's better off this time. Interesting. All right. Well, you can have your say in the comments uh, in the review, which you can read now at carexpert.com.au. 
Alrighty, that's an end for this week's podcast. Okay, Will, uh, give us a lowdown on the cars we've got coming up next week. So, in Melbourne, we have got a Lexus NX250, uh, the updated mini electric hatch, Porsche Macan GTS, uh, Renault Colios Black Edition, which is just a special edition model, and uh, Nissan Patrol, the, the 2022 update, which I think has got new badges, and that's about it. Um, <laughs> we also have up in Sydney a BMW M440i X-Drive Grand Coupe, uh, don't seem to have anything in Brisbane, but that's fine because I'm down here anyway. <laughs> uh, we've also got a Ford Mustang Mach 1 because I don't think any of us have driven one since the launch. Which and you should. And you should yes. drive one. Yeah, and Cross just joined us for his segment. He's <laughs> probably <laughs> thought he was gone. He's back again. He's come back from the dead. <laughs> um, yeah, so cool garage next week. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, just a quick wrap of the events we've got coming up as well. Uh, Mike will be attending the event for the updated Skoda Kodiak um, and Scully will be attending the event for the updated Mazda CX-5. And I'll be in Italy driving the DBX 707. Thank you, William Stopford, James Wong and Tony Crawford again. Oh, don't thank me. <laughs> thank those guys. <laughs> Thanks, Mandy. I'm a stringer. <laughs>